0: And now the quote of the day by Ella Fitzgerald, American singer, the queen of jazz. It isn't where you came from, it's where you're going that counts. There are so many meanings in this quote that can help us remember our path is ever-changing. Our journey is always there for us to take the left, the right, or straight on. Every decision we make, whether we say hello or goodbye, or whether we push forward to make ourselves better, it's our decision and our journey. Where are you going? Today we find out how Robert started his journey and the first few steps he took to where he is today. Let's get started. Let's go back in time. Okay.
1: (laughs) This is where the screen gets all blurry. (laughs) We have a little flashback.
0: So how did you get into interpreting?
1: Um, I will be very honest and say accidentally. (laughs) Um, My origin story, I guess if you want it, um, you see or Marvel about it when i was i think i was about 16 my father and i um my father who just unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago um he, we wanted to do something together like a night class and so you know and so we looked through the adult education catalog and like they had things like woodworking and we're like no we'll cut things we'll cut our hands off no yeah <laughs> and it was like oh let's take sign language so we took this sign language and it was wasn't called american sign language it was called sign language sign
0: language oh yeah
1: sign language um my father lasted about a week or two he's like this is too tough (laughs) Um, but it was taught by a hearing person um who said i'll teach you the real signs deaf people do things that are different and wrong oh lovely this was the 80s the early 80s yeah but anyway we learned a bunch i learned a bunch of signs Mm -hmm. and i could string them together and i would run you know once in a while see a deaf person at a store or something was able to sort of communicate Mm -hmm. um but that's that was the extent of it and i kind of had that in the back of my head through my high school and then my first year of university, I, um, I was an actor, I was trained as an actor. Um, and I got through my first year of university and decided to take a leave of absence because I was kind of sick of it. And I was still living, I was at Rutgers, uh, in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And, um, I still had access to the library because my card still worked because it, you know, <laughs> we didn't have the, the fancy electronic stuff. It's <laughs> you still had a plastic card, you know?
2: Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: Um, and I just, I always was interested in linguistics and language. And I happened to look for something to read. And I stumbled across this book called The Signs of Language mm-hmm. by Beluji and Klima. Um, and it was published in 1978. Um, it was one of the first compilations of early research on the brain and sign language. Nice. So it was on stroke victims and ASL. Uh, it talked about Japanese sign language. And I read it one night and was like, wait a minute. American sign language is a language and there's a Japanese sign language and it, they're not related to the spoken language. What is this thing? This is amazing. This is really interesting. I, I want to learn this. So I tried to find out where to learn it. And what I learned very quickly, uh, this is before deaf studies programs were even a thought. Yeah. I, I thought, I assumed, stupidly, <laughs> oh, deaf education must have that. And of course, deaf education, even today, there's a slow movement. But back then, there were no places that taught sign language in deaf education, which I thought and still think, of course, is insane. I agree. But they were the only place I could find what were called an ITP, an interpreter training program. Mm-hmm. And I was in New Jersey, and there was one not far, in a town called Cranford, New Jersey, at Union County College. And it was run until recently. she's since retired by a woman named Eileen Forrestal, oh, um, yeah. who's deaf. Mm-hmm. And I remember meeting her with, again, the signs that I knew, which wasn't ASL Lord knows how she understood me. <laughs> but I remember very clearly saying, "I don't want to become an interpreter. I just want to learn ASL and I want to be a linguist. I want to do linguistic research. That was my mm-hmm. at the time. There were very few bachelor's programs in America, very few four-year programs. Mm-hmm. This was a two-year program at a community college, what would be called like the equivalent of further education in the UK. Um, although Eileen kind of sneakily got away with it for a while, where there was an extra year. So I had um we had to take a year of you paid for it, of non-credit ASL, but it was seven hours a week. Nice. Two semesters, and if you pass that, then you got into the interpreting program. And up through the entire time, I had Eileen as as not as an ASL teacher, as an interpreting teacher. And one of my other teachers was a Coda who was wonderful. Until my last semester, I was like, I don't want to interpret because I was young and I'm I'm now old and obnoxious. I was young and obnoxious, and I said, Wait a minute! If someone says something that I disagree with, I have to interpret what they say. There's not, uh, uh." yeah. But Eileen, being Eileen as crafty as she is, I had to get hours practicum hours to graduate <laughs> and so she would do things like oh what are you doing on tuesday because i worked did a work-study job in her office doing administrative stuff yeah. and um i'd say oh i have a class in the morning and then i have your class in the evening she goes oh i have to go to trenton why don't we go to lunch and i have to go to this meeting okay and then we drive there and she say, well there's no interpreter for the meeting you have to interpret <laughs> and i said i don't want to interpret and she goes do you want to graduate and i was like yes i want to graduate <laughs> then you will interpret. Oh. <laughs> um, but what started to happen is I started to go. Oh, this is really interesting. Someone says something, I do something, someone understands it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then they say something, and I do something, and then they go, "Huh, this is pretty neat." So my goal was to transfer after I was finished to Northeastern University, where yes, that's where I work now. Mm-hmm. For those of you paying attention at home, I was going to uh, finish my bachelor's degree there. Yeah. Um, I moved to Boston in 1988. And I thought they were going to transfer all the credits I had from my other degree. And they weren't, oh. I was going to have to do at least three and a half more years. Mm. I just started working there. so my first job is in the program that I work in now, although I was the administrative assistant and the interpreter for the program. yeah. And I, I became an interpreter by default. I interpreted for the deaf staff that I worked with before I got my national certification. There was a state level quality assurance test, which I passed. Mm-hmm. There were very few male interpreters, as we know. Yeah. So I started working freelance as well because, you know, there was a lot of times where, you know, especially deaf men going to medical appointments, mm-hmm. they wanted a guy yeah. and there I was. Um, and so kind of fell into it. And, and really, I mean, I always loved being around deaf community with deaf friends, but actually going, Oh, listen, inter- I can actually do this interpreting thing mm-hmm. and I can actually put aside my own feelings and, maybe complain about it later but yeah yeah to this day i mean i i'm still fascinated by the process um it works more often than it doesn't i mean we we all kind of beat ourselves up when it doesn't work yeah um but i just find it amazing that oh my god it works you know
0: yeah you're right we tend to think about all the mistakes and and problems we have and forget about the 90 percent that was okay
1: exactly yeah
0: such fun We are amazing, aren't we? We're not perfect, but interpreting is surprisingly amazing. Thank you so much for your support. In every way, just telling a friend is enough. Thank you. Let's go back to Robert. You kept saying a few times that, oh, I disagree with this person. Why would I want to interpret for them? Mm -hmm. So that brings me to the point of what is your approach to those dilemmas? How do you handle that in your mind?
1: um i mean part of the i think one of the things i've maybe developed over the years i mean it's very rare that i've had to interpret things that i violently disagree with i try not to get myself into those situations sure um and also there's a could be perceptions if it's something for example political Mm -hmm. that i'm publicly known for not having these political views but i'm up there interpreting that's i i'm the problem (laughs) um But in, I mean, I think in a lot of situations where it's, I I make it more into an intellectual game. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this is what you're saying. And this is your intent. And this is what you're trying to get across. And I'm going to do my best to get that across in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And and in some ways, it's, you know, distancing myself from it. But I, I think I find that both ends of the spectrum are equally challenging. So something that's I either disagree with, or is not being presented very well, <laughs> um, or very clearly. Mm-hmm. But again, my job is to get that across in the in the way that it's presented, you know, with with the intent, etc. But also, if it's something I really agree with, that's I'm excited about, that could be problematic too, because then it becomes, oh, I'm really excited about it. So it's kind of raining in the enthusiasm or raining in the mm-hmm. feeling of. <laughs>
0: the unenthusiasm. Yeah, um enthusiasm
1: Disenthusiasm. Yeah, yes.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, one of the, one of the early examples, again, I'll, I'll mention Eileen Forestall because she's since become a, a very good friend which I'm very fortunate to have her in my life. One of the things before I graduated was um I had worked in the tutoring center for the college and there was a something that happened and I ended up quitting. And the person who was the head of the tutoring center I didn't like as a person or respect as a person. Mm-hmm. The college had put together this program without going into any details that didn't was not working and it was a nightmare, a public relations nightmare. And he was the face public face of it. Uh, so he was going to give this big address to the college explaining everything. Mm-hmm. Eileen really wanted to go as a faculty member, but she couldn't. There was no interpreters available. It was one of those middle of the day one hour jobs, very difficult to find interpreters. Mm-hmm. She said, look, <laughs> I know you don't like him. <laughs> um, I know you think everything he says is a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really want to know as a faculty member, what's going on here. You're all I got. Mm-hmm. I'll make you a deal. <laughs> um, you interpret that as accurately and as clearly, and you know, you embody him. Mm-hmm. So, cause I need that information. Um, and I'm going to take you out to lunch afterward, and I'll let you know if any of you snuck in. That's your challenge.
2: Ooh, yeah.
1: Um, and it was, a, and I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And it was, it was again. This is obviously when I was a very, 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 very new interpreter, still a student. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, I think that lesson really stuck with me. It's, it is possible. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. <laughs> it's, it's harder yes. than a lot of other interpreting but I can still do my job and the deaf person can still get access to the information they want access. To. Yeah. Then I can, you know, go back and roll my eyes and, <laughs> and do it and scream or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was a great, a really great exercise of, yeah, let's, how does, how do I do this? Um, Cause not everything we interpret we're interested in. <laughs> right. Or if it's something that we've interpreted numerous times that can kind of get, you know, run dry and we, st- and, but we still have to be present in the moment. Um, And I think having that kind of experience really helped me remember each moment in interpreting, even if I've interpreted the same content multiple times before, even with the same person, this is a different moment, and I need to be present in the moment.
2: Yeah.
0: She asked you to embody him. Mm -hmm. How, How do you do that? I know from acting, both of us probably are thinking similar things. Yeah. But how do you prepare yourself to do that. How do you really take on the, that character, that embodiment of him? How do you take him on?
1: Um, well, I think it's, again, acting training helped a lot, um, you know, because I, I played characters that were reprehensible <laughs> and horrible human beings, you know, um, and I don't consider myself that horrible a human being. Um, I think it's, it's again, it's it, in some ways an intellectual exercise, you know, what does the world look like mm-hmm. if what they're saying is true? And what, what do I have to believe Mm-hmm. such that that's true or even if it's not true what do i have to believe that i that i would say that yeah um and i haven't acted in years but i have lots of friends who are actors and you know when you're playing a character that's just horrible mm-hmm. you know you have to find ways to you know go out and have fun afterward you know and remind yourself that you know you're not a horrible human being and you don't have even though because that stuff is going through us mm-hmm. um and I think that's it. It's, you know, what is, and for any interpreting, you know, what I tell my students is that interpreting is fairly easy. Yeah. <laughs> Just answer these questions. Why are they saying what they're saying the way they're saying at this moment?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Answer those and you're halfway home, you know? Um, so why is, why are they saying that in that way now? Yeah. And back in my mind, I'm going, well, that's a lie or that's a misstatement of the facts. Mm-hmm. But how do I... How do I, you know, what does the world look like? What's my worldview that says, okay, that's what this utterance should look like. Yeah. I think by distancing myself, I'm able to do it without having to own it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how do you disembody yourself? How do you get rid of Mm -hmm. that afterwards? Going back to that first time when you first were learning this, with experience, it gets better and easier, but what did you do in the beginning to start getting rid of it?
1: I don't know if I did anything. <laughs> pro- I probably did Um, I mean, the thing is with, with that specific example, um, I was able to kind of debrief and process it with Eileen, mm-hmm. going, Well, he said this, but I think he really, <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. I can't always do that. Um, I used to do a lot of conference work, and conference work it's usually less emotional in that way, mm-hmm. but it's often just mentally demanding. Right. And you know, one of the strategies i developed, especially if I was doing kind of multi-day conferences, um, is when I was off, is just going in a room by myself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, hopefully, if if I'm at a hotel, turning on some absolutely meaningless television, you know, just to kind of clear the buffers in my brain. Yeah, and then some of it is just that; it's just kind of shaking it off, if you will. Um, even if it's not emotional, but if it's just you know, cognitively heavy lifting, mm-hmm. you know, my brain has been working for eight hours. Yeah, <laughs> off and on. I think I've gotten much better over the years of of managing my energy that way, mostly by just figuring it out or or having colleagues say, here's what I do. Yeah. I think just kind of switching off and literally having nothing interesting or important, you know, that's why, you know, cartoon channel or something like that (laughs) really helped. Yeah. Really helped.
0: Well, and you you also had a a deaf mentor uh, and colleagues as well that you could also bounce things off of. Yeah. We can't always do that with clients that we only see once. Yeah. Every few weeks or so, but if we have someone that we work with regularly, and we also interpret for them, they can help us work through it. Sometimes, just talking with them about it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes it's it's also. I mean, some of the people I've worked with, they sort of want to process what's going on, and usually the only other person they can talk to is the interpreter, right? Um, or I mean, they they might be able to process with a colleague, but they might just want, to, what the hell was that about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think it's it's healthy one of the things in you mentioned before that i think we're i hope we're going to do more of in in this country in the us than the uh, the uk uk is um, really big on interpreters having professional supervision mm-hmm. um pretty much every interpreter i know has either group or individual supervision
2: mm-hmm.
1: by someone who's experienced and trained to do that right we're not there yet in the states and i think we need to move toward that but that's a great place to bring issues yeah where it's, you can, you have someone who understands the work, understands what you're doing. You can talk very honestly about your choices and sometimes come up with, yeah, pretty much what you did was about all that could have been done. Yeah. You know, there was nothing else to, and so it's also validating mm-hmm. in some ways. And I, I, I really think we need to be moving more toward that, that model here Yeah, um, and everywhere. Sure. Sure.
0: Today was a fun, short journey looking at the beginning of Robert's journey. And there are a few things I think we should take away from this. One, not only as a beginner, but as an experienced interpreter, we should take challenges. We should take those jobs that challenge us. The best way is to take them in a controlled environment. Just like Robert, he had someone who knew him and understood what he was going through and could talk to him afterwards about that experience. But what those experiences do is that they show us what we are capable of. They show us our limits. They expand our skills in a way that we didn't know we could. Gaining new knowledge and new skills is something that all interpreters are striving for. But sometimes we have to step out of our comfort zone to actually achieve what we want to achieve. Taking on the character, embodying the speaker that we may have a challenge with is something I've talked about before. Using acting skills, using your creative imagination to see from that person's eyes. I like how Robert said, ask yourself the question, what would my worldview be in order for me to think this way or say things like this. So ask yourself those questions to help you take on who this person is, why they're thinking what they're thinking. And that can help us improve our interpretation across the board in every assignment that we have. But then after stepping out of our comfort zone, we need some way to relax our mind and to help us get through those difficult moments. Those of us who are experienced interpreters, we have a skill set, we have something that we use, whether we have listed it out or not, but we need to remember that those new interpreters, they may not know how to process what they're going through during interpreting. My simple advice to those of you who are new is listen to Robert. Interpreting is a mental exercise that we're not used to in the beginning. Sometimes we have to shut off our minds and let that energy that we have built up by working so hard and exhausting our minds, we need to let it go away, flush it out, to allow us to have that cognitive processing level again later. Whether that would be meditation, reading a book, watching cartoons, doing nothing. You need to relax your mind and your body. That is the first step. And the last point connects all of these together. Find yourself a trusted colleague, whether it's a mentor that you pay for their services, their coaching, or whether it's a trusted confidant, someone who you can express the feelings, the emotions that you're going through in all confidence. Because sometimes we just have to vent to get things off our chest. Sometimes we are amazing interpreters and other times we're not so amazing. I'll see you next week when we continue our conversation with Robert. Keep calm. Keep on interpreting. Take care now.